Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're walking through the book of Isaiah, and we're in Isaiah chapter 44 in a phenomenal passage. It's so phenomenal, you, you missed it. So we're going to talk about it, because it's incredible. And what we have in Isaiah chapter 44 is it's, it's God pleading. He's pleading with his people. I go ahead and pull it back out again, right there in your bulletins there. Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You're my servant, Israel. I will not forgive you. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. It's God pleading. At the risk of being, uh, it's God begging. Remember. Return. God is pleading with his people to come back, to repent and remember and return. But here's the amazing part. The context of Isaiah is God pleading with his people to come back to him because they have fallen away from him and they've fallen away so far that God has taken away their capital city, he's taken away their nation. The nation of Judah and the capital of Jerusalem is gone. And he's saying, come back to me. I'm going to restore your nation. I'm going to restore the capital city of Jerusalem. Now here's the amazing part. Isaiah is preaching and prophesying around 700 B.C. Jerusalem isn't captured by the Babylonians until 586 B.C. And the remnant doesn't return to Jerusalem until 537, I'm sorry, 532 B.C. In essence, Isaiah is saying, and God is saying, I'm going to forgive you for something you haven't even done yet. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? It's astounding. It's, it's a little weird, to be honest. But it's amazing. God forgives you for something you haven't done yet, but you will. It's an incredible piece of prophecy. Or maybe it isn't. Maybe just God knows his people so well, he knows what's going to happen. I remember when I graduated from high school. Big, exciting day, great day. We walk out from the auditorium, and there was this kid in my class, and he got a brand new Ford Mustang, and they parked it right in front of the school, right where you walk out. And me and all my friends knew this would not end well, because we knew the kid who was getting the Mustang. And we knew this would not end well. And sure enough, within a year, maybe two, that car was wrapped around a pole somewhere. And we all knew it was going to happen. Now, what if? What if the dad had taped a note to the steering wheel? And the note said, Son, I forgive you for crashing this car. Love, Dad. Be a little freaky, huh? Now, you could argue it's not a good idea for parents to give a car to someone so responsible, and, and you'd be right. But what's great here is the foreknowledge and the grace of God. Because this is exactly what God is doing in this text for today. Isaiah prophesies the grace of God 
and the return of the exiles back to Jerusalem a little over 150 years before it actually happened. And so it got me to thinking. What would God say to us today, back in 1850, 150 years ago? If there was a prophet, a preacher back then, what would he have said today? In 1850. Perhaps a prophet in 1850 would discuss racial reconciliation, or abortion, or criminal justice system, or mental health, or greed and obsession with success and possessions in our world today. Perhaps that's what the prophet would talk about. And all those things are important, and they're all worthy of discussion. But I think I know the number one problem in America today. I think I know the number one problem in America today, and I would even say the number one problem in our world today. And Isaiah tells us in this text. See, the number one problem in America and even the world today is not racial reconciliation or abortion or the state of marriage or justice or government. It's none of those things. The number one problem in America today is that we have no idea how much we are loved. don't. We have no idea. And some of you are shaking your heads going, yes, yes, that's true. They have no idea how much they are loved out there. No, no, we have no idea how much we are loved. God loves you. It's astounding. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And we all know this. But think about it. It's amazing love. That's incredible love. I don't know about you, but I'm not giving my kids to anyone. Well, you can borrow them for a week or two if you want to. You know, it's, it's cool. But to give them over to you so they could die for your sin? I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. God's love is amazing, and Jesus' sacrificial death is absolutely incredible. It's incredible. We, we often honor people in our military who give their lives for their, our sakes, as well we should. That's what we should. Here's the amazing part. Jesus gave his life for his enemies. Jesus gave his life for people who mock him. Jesus gave his life for people who made fun of him. Jesus gave his life for people who spat upon him and cursed his name and beat him. For those who hated him. The love of God is amazing. I believe, I believe that God instituted marriage and the family so that we would begin, we'd just begin to learn about the amazing, sacrificial love of God. See, there's things you learn when you're married. And the first thing you learn is that your spouse is a sinner. It's true. It's, it's true. I love doing marriages and weddings 
And we always read from 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't boast, doesn't envy. It keeps no record of wrongs. And I say to the couple, this is what you guys are going to do, right? And they're like, oh, yes, we're going to do it. <laughs> like, you're going to do it perfectly, right? Oh, absolutely, perfectly. But you're wrong. You won't do it perfectly. Because <laughs> you're sinners, right? That's the first thing you learn in marriage. The second thing you learn in marriage is you are a sinner. I learned after I got married that I could justify any behavior. Anything. Here's a conversation that didn't actually take place in our household, but could have. So, honey, you like my new rifle? Yes, I know it's exactly like my other rifle, exact same caliber and everything, but this one is camouflage painted. So when I'm wearing my orange vest and my orange hat, I can sneak up on the deer. <laughs> But those shoes you bought, I mean, really? You already have a pair of shoes. <laughs> I can justify any behavior. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. And the third thing you learn in marriage is this. Kids are really messy. I mean, like, incredibly messy. Like poltergeist messy. Like spewing things out of their mouths messy. I remember I had my daughter Emma, and Emma did not sleep for three years. <laughs> Emma did not sleep. And she would fall asleep if you held her, and if you put her back down in her crib, she'd wake up again. And so I was, remember one night I was holding her, and I'm like, this baby is so sweet, this baby is so perfect, this baby is so pure, and she spit up all over me. <laughs> I wasn't wearing a shirt. And I was like, had my head kind of cocked to hers, you know? It got in my hair. And I'm thinking, I can't put her down because she'll wake up. And then one time after David was born, sorry, David, you weren't supposed to be here. So David's a baby. He's in the bathtub, right? A little bathtub you put in the sink. And I'm getting ready to go to a meeting. I got my dress shirt on. I got my tie on. And he pees three feet. It just arced over. It just hit me right there. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? kidding me? Kids are messy. And in, in the family, you have this great lab. It's a laboratory. And the whole process, you're growing and loving and forgiving and learning what God's love for you looks like. It looks like holding a baby who spews on you and you don't clean it up, you just keep on holding her. God's love for you looks like that. It looks like getting peed on by someone and going, yep, this is what I signed up for, and it's good. It means sacrificing so your spouse can have, and you, you sacrifice because, because you love, and that's what love does. And you don't do it perfectly. You don't. Because you don't love perfectly. And we never love perfectly. But we'll never completely understand God's amazing love for you because you don't love perfectly. And the number one problem in America and in the world and in us is that we don't fully and completely understand how much God loves you. See, if we truly knew the amazing love of God. We would do nothing out of fear. 
First John chapter 4 says this. It says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. You hear those words? God's love is so, is so complete in you on that day of judgment, you walk in confidently because you know you're loved. On that day, it says this, in this world we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, we do things out of fear when we serve or give or act under a sense of compulsion. That's out of fear, not out of love. We follow Jesus out of fear when we serve with a hope for reward. Ah, I did this. I'm, I'm kind of good. You know, I get, I get a few extra points. We follow Jesus out of fear when we fail to risk. Because love takes risks. People in love take risks all the time. Why? Because they have nothing to fear. They have nothing to fear. They, they know that they are loved. When my wife and I were dating, I would take snowballs and I'd, I'd hit her dorm window and she'd open up her window and I would sing her love songs. <laughs> I was an idiot. <laughs> and I could not care less. Because I was loved. And I do it now. My kids yell at me, Dad, knock it off! You're off key! Jeez, right? But when we know we're loved, we take risks. And there's no fear. I saw a great example of this a couple weeks ago. We had a drama camp here. And these kids would practice their drama camp. And we had, uh, I think, 15 kids. And for a week, they learned, they learned their lines, and they learned a lot of songs, and they learned some dance moves to the songs. Now, how many of you would get up here and dance for us? Me either. That's absolutely frightening. There's no way I would do that. And these kids, they all did it. Oh, that's courage. That is, that is fearless behavior. They just jumped up there and started singing and dancing. And I thought, why, why, why can they do that? How come they're so bold? And I think I know the answer. They knew the audience. They, they knew who was watching them as their family and friends. And they knew no matter what they did, they were getting a standing ovation. Because they were confident in their love, that they were being loved. They were confident. I could just get up here, dance, sing, say some lines, and sure enough, when it was all over, they all got roses, got standing ovation, and this, I mean, I'll be honest, it was far from Broadway. It was far from Broadway. And nobody cared. Because they were loved. And because they were loved, they had no fear. So, I'm not trying to experiment this morning. I'm going to see if we want to volunteer. Come on up here. You could tell a joke. You could uh, tell us about something that you did that was kind of cool. You could tell a story. Uh, you could sing a song. <laughs> you could do a little dance. Whatever you choose. And we promise you, when you're done, we will applaud loudly and cheer wildly. We promise you this. So any volunteers? Kelly, 
Come on up, Kelly. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why my kids stop doing something. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I never I always see you like this. <laughs> I'm a really good storyteller, so I'll tell a story. Tell a story. We'll, we'll disagree, but <laughs> so, my kids are two, and then our twins are one. So Brayden is always running over the twins, and um, one of them just got a bloody nose in the nursery from Brayden. So, awesome. so, yeah. so that's just our life. It's just bit bumps and bruises and whatever. So the other night at grandparents' house, we were. Um, just messing with Brayden and rolling him up in a blanket like a burrito and then like unrolling him. He was just like flying everywhere. And then someone was like, well, let's swaddle him like when he was a baby. So we swaddled him up and he's like a sardine. And then Lucas was like, yes. Like his eyes lit up and he's like, I'm just going to go over and pound on him. So he <laughs> crawls on over and just starts whacking at his face and Brayden's just laughing and I took a video of it. <laughs> <laughs> and he, it was just, it was literally like two minutes of like him just like, kit, but then he was kissing on him and it was really oh. sweet. But anyways, I posted it to America's Funniest Home Videos because it was hilarious. <laughs> so that's my story. That's awesome. <laughs> Off, but 
guys are awesome. And, and you're awesome not because of what you do or say or things, but that you're, of course you're awesome because of that. But you're awesomely loved. You're loved. So where is God calling you to be and to live and to love? Where is God calling you to risk? Is that coworker going through a tough time? That neighbor who's just moved in? Uh, that kid who just needs a little extra grace? Where is God calling you to risk and to love? That place that, that just needs your time and your talents and your gifts? Where is God calling you to risk and to love? Are you afraid? Are you afraid it, it might not go as well as planned? That it might fail? Of course it might. Of course it might. And it doesn't matter. Because when you risk out of God's love for you, when you move out of a sense of just thankfulness for God's amazing love for you, God applauds. Because he loves you. I want to just pull out that Old Testament reading. Pull it out. says uh, Jacob or Israel I just want you to say your name and we're going to say this Old Testament reading together remember these things Jason for you Jason are my servant I have made you you are my servant Jason I will not forget you I have swept away your offenses like a cloud your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jason. He displays his glory in Jason. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.